Well, welcome. It's good to see everyone this morning. Y'all doing okay? Are y'all doing all right? Okay, good deal. I honestly confess that uh, I fell asleep last night not doing okay because my beloved Longhorns failed me. So I don't know if we've got any Longhorn fans in here, but I had to, I had to really spend some time like praying about my heart. I'm supposed to be talking about Jesus today, and I'm struggling with my, struggling a little bit. Don't be throwing your Baylor claw up there. I don't see that stuff. So it's, uh, it's great to see all of you guys, and if y'all don't mind, I'm going to do something kind of weird, I don't know, but I'm going to take a picture of y'all. Is that okay? You're like, I, I don't know about this. Um, I'm just going to take, oh, I kind of can't get, can't get it in there. Here we go, here we go. Let's try it. Try to smile, all right? One, two, three. Okay, I'm not going to make you do the silly version, right? You always do the, the serious version and the silly version. I won't make you do that this morning. My name's Nick, and I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, it has been a real blessing and privilege to move with my family and uh, six other families to South Austin a little over 15 months ago and to start to establish a new local expression of the church. And so I realized that many of you come from different places uh, in your life. Some of you maybe uh, have attended church before. Maybe this is your first day in a long time to be in church uh, into a gathering like this. Uh, But wherever you find yourself, uh, we want you to know that you are welcome here. Uh, that this is a safe place to ask questions, to have doubts, uh, to wrestle with fears, uh, to struggle with being alone, and just the life things that happen, but also to celebrate the good things. Because life is not all bad. Life actually has a lot of positives and ups, and we're going to talk about some of that today. In the video, you may have heard people wrestling with the purpose of life, and I can remember multiple times along my journey where I've had these critical moments, these, these kind of God-ordained moments, at least from my perspective, where I saw that what I was doing um, really felt disconnected from something of meaning, of purpose. It was like I was really busy uh, doing a lot of stuff, but wrestling with why I was doing all that stuff. You ever had those moments? You ever had that moment where you're going through life and, you know, everybody asks the question, well, how's things going? And one of the first answers that comes out of 90% of the people's mouth that I ask that question to, they say what? just busy. We're just busy. Life's just busy. It's just going on. And then some, if they're spiritual, they might say something like, yeah, we're just in a season. And I'm like, when are we not in a season? <laughs> okay, it's like, it's like every day is, a, is another season, right? It's another time that we wrestle with the realities of life. And so there's, it seems like there's never-ending supply of seasons. And when we say season, we don't usually mean that in like a positive way. We mean like, oh, it's just one of those times. You know, it's kind of crazy, kind of stressful right now kind of busy. But wherever you find yourself today, I want to talk to you this morning about something that I believe is very significant and very important for all of us. And you may be aware, you may not, but across the city of Austin, across the greater Austin area, today we begin a seven-week series called Explore God. You may have seen a billboard when you're driving down the freeway. You may have seen a Facebook ad. You may have heard a spot on the radio. Maybe you saw something on a local television network. But Explore God is a seven-week series and, and, and call it a campaign or whatever you would like, but it's a discussion. It's really about creating spiritual conversations across the city of Austin where we, uh, both in the church of, of, of Jesus Christ and those who are outside the church, we want to just have open and honest dialogue. Now, let's be honest. Today is not much of a conversation. I'm talking at you or to you, and you're not getting to speak back to me much. But we are going to actually provide you an opportunity to do a couple things uh, that will be very helpful over the next seven weeks. First, 
we're going to ask you today during the message that if you feel that there is a question that comes into your mind, and when I'm sitting listening to someone talk, I usually have a question. We're going to have a number on the screen that you can text in your question, okay? And some of you are like, oh, cell phone's in church. Well, your Bible's already on it, right? So just pull it out. I won't be offended. You have your, you have your cell phone. If you text in your question, and we are not going to answer those questions today live, but we are going to answer those questions on the forum that, that uh, Harley mentioned earlier we call The City. It's our online community. And we want to answer those questions the best that we can uh, to address some of the challenges because I grew up in church. Uh, that's my story, and I still have the wounds and scars to prove it. And uh, as I grew up in church, and my experience was that I didn't have a lot of safe places to ask the hard questions. And so we want to create that space here for you. And so you can text that question in to a number that will be up on the screen here in just a minute. The other thing is, as Harley's already mentioned, is our discussion groups, our redemption groups. And those are just smaller groups where you can actually have a live conversation with someone else about the questions that you're wrestling through. And let me just go ahead and be the first to say, I don't have all the answers, okay? Uh, in fact, I've never met anyone that has all the answers, right? And anybody in here? Just make, does anybody have all the answers? Okay, make sure, just make sure. Um, I know there's some very intelligent people, some smart people in this room, and, uh, and so you probably have some answers that you can contribute to this conversation. But in order to do that, if you would come and find myself or Harley, or uh, you can go out to the welcome table area uh, before you leave today, you can find out more information about how to get connected to one of these smaller discussion groups. But one of those groups will happen tonight at 6.30 p.m. at the Coffee Cup, which is located over here at Slaughter and Brody. Maybe some of you know where that is. And at 6.30, in a neutral space environment, we're going to have discussion there. And, uh, and we just are looking forward to the conversation that we'll have about what God is, is trying to say to us, but also the questions and problems that we run into as we try to encounter God. Okay? So, um, when I was in high school, I lived for football. Now, that may not connect with many of you, but that was my story uh, you probably had something that you really connected with, you found your identity in, it kept you busy, and that was your purpose. For me, sports in general was my purpose in life as a high schooler, and particularly football was the sport that I loved, and so I longed to just be on the gridiron, especially under the Friday night lights. Some of you men can resonate with that. Some of you men are like, I don't know what you're talking about, but that's okay. Whatever your story is, that was mine, and so I put a lot of stock in playing football on Friday nights. And everything was great, and my plan was, was just going along perfectly smooth until I had a, a career-ending, uh, season-ending, in my mind, career-ending, that just sounds like more formal, right? Uh, what, what that means for me is I planned to go to college and play, and I had an, in, an injury that did not allow that to happen. And I can remember, in that moment, just being crushed. Like, the thing that I love, the thing that I long to do so much, I can't do anymore. And I had some real hard moments. I had some moments where I had to get alone and I had to wrestle it out. What am I going to do next? What am, I, what am I going to do with my life? You know, typically when you're in high school and even into college, you're asking that question. And it's a very important question. What am I going to do with my life and what is my purpose? And yet many times we don't ask it. While it's very important, it's not very common that we take the time to actually sit down and wrestle with that question. But as I said a while ago, the tension that most of us live in is that we are all really busy doing a lot of stuff. We are busy doing a lot of stuff, but we aren't always sure why we do it. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to, to pull it out. If you don't have a Bible, there's some scattered throughout uh, the seats here. The, ver- the words will be up on the screen. The verses will be on the screen to help you out. But 
Um, if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that Bible with you as a gift from us. We'd love for you to have it. Um, and, but if you, uh, if you have a Bible, leave it there for somebody who doesn't have one, okay? <laughs> but either way, I want you to, to, to read with me uh, this morning. We're going to look in the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is where we're going to camp out. And we're going to talk a little bit about what God has to say about purpose. Um, we aren't the first ones to address this issue of purpose. We're not the first ones to wrestle with it. In fact, many, many people in our culture, many, many people in our society have wrestled with this. Rick Warren tells a story of a professor at a university in the Northeast that he, at one, one point in his, uh, his career, decided, I'm going to message out 250 of the brightest minds around the world, and I'm going to ask them to answer this question. What is the meaning of life? What's fascinating about that is when he got all the answers back, many of them, the brightest minds on the planet, said, we don't really know. We're not really sure. That was the honest one. <laughs> there was a group of them that, that would convey some sort of, I think that, that this is what we're here for, and this is my purpose, this is what life is all about, and this is the meaning of it. But for the majority of them, uh, they wrote, we don't really know, or for some even said something to this effect, of, when you publish that book, uh, would you send us a copy so we can kind of figure it out? So no matter how intelligent you are, you still have to wrestle with the purpose and the meaning of life. In fact, some of you may be aware of a guy named Richard Dawkins. He's one of the leading thinkers amongst the atheist community today. And this is what he says. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other, other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. He's very chipper, isn't he? He's got a great outlook on life. Or Ernest Hemingway said it this way, life is a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. But Bertrand Russell one of the leading thinkers among the atheist community as well, he said this, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. So I want us to look at Ecclesiastes this morning as what we know, if you know anything about the Bible, is written by a man named King Solomon. He's known in the Bible as the wisest man to have ever lived. Uh, in fact, whenever he was asked by God, uh, what do you want? I'll give you anything that you desire. And you know what he asked for? Wisdom. He asked for wisdom. Would you ask for that? I don't think I would. I wish I would. I probably would ask for something else, probably some more comfort in some way, shape, or form. But he asked for wisdom, which shows he was already wise before he asked for the wisdom, right? But he asked for wisdom. And this is what he writes from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? And I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I increased my achievements, I built houses, I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. 
and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself, from which I ir- which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and slaves who were born in my house. I also owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself, and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that uh, it is not exactly um, a cheerful book in many ways. And he is expressing his experience of trying to pursue a purpose in three primary things that we know are not our purpose. And so let me just list these out for you if you're following along in the guide. The first thing that we understand is in, chapter, is in verses 1 through 3. And he says this, that I want to go ahead and enjoy pleasure. My purpose is not to experience the most pleasure possible. My purpose is not to experience the most pleasure possible. What happens after you've eaten a good meal? What happens after you've gone on a great vacation trip? What happens after you enjoy a quality Longhorn football win? What happens after you've gone to an amazing concert with all of the the greatest musicians that you you love and you you love to listen to? What happens when you have an experience that it's a pinnacle experience in your life? What happens? Another day comes, and you have to go find something else for your pleasure fix, don't you? You see, the, the problem is, is that no matter how much pleasure we experience, no, how, no, no matter how much we put into our tank, we always want more. We always want more. We're never fully satisfied. And Solomon says in his wisdom, he says, I went after pleasure. I got everything I thought I wanted. I just enjoyed myself as much as possible. And in the process, what I found is that it's futile. Because I always want more. And if we're true to ourselves and if we're honest, together today, we've, we've experienced that, haven't we? That we pursue pleasure and we find out that there's always more that we want. But it's not only pleasure that he says is, is too small of a purpose. He actually says, the second uh, part of this in verse 4 through 7, that my purpose is not to accomplish as much work as possible. My, my purpose is not to accomplish as much work as possible and get the accolades and the recognition from that. Now, let me be honest. As a man, I want to be productive with my life. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to waste time. I want to make, get things done. But here's what I've discovered. Much like with pleasure, I get one job done and guess what? There's another job to do. I lay down on my pillow at night thinking, uh, just as I will tonight, it's been a great day. Thank you, God, for this day. And I'm going to think, but tomorrow it's my to-do list. And it starts adding up again. Because here's the thing. No matter how much work we accomplish, there's always more work to do, isn't there? 
And so for many of us in this room, we can think about situations and circumstances where we try to find our worth, our value, our identity, our purpose in our work. For some, we work at educating ourselves. We work at learning certain skills, at leading others. Uh, We work at just making general advances, and and we think about those things, and, and those are great things. Don't hear me say they're not good things. But what we find is that all those things continually drive us to a desire for more. But the third thing that that Solomon says in the passage is he says, in beginning of verse 8, that our purpose is not to accumulate as much wealth as possible. Now, we live in the United States, and some of you probably are already aware of this, but if you're not, let me just tell you now that if you make more than $30,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of wealth in the entire world. Let that sink in for a second. If you make $30,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of wealth in the entire world. But what's the problem? We only compare ourselves to those who have more than us, generally speaking, right? Generally speaking, we look at the people who have more, and that's the people that we want to be like. That's what we want to have, what they have. And I would say to you this morning that our purpose is not to just simply accumulate a lot of stuff. In the passage, it says that he amassed a lot of wealth. He got a lot of money in his bank account. He had a big 401k, all right? He had, he had a big herd of donkeys and sheep and camels, because I know that's what we're all aspiring to, right? But that was what he had in his day. That's, that's what they, they went after. And so he tries to amass his wealth, and in it he says, I get all this stuff, and I find that it to be futile. In life, we can find that just simply trying to be rich is not enough. Maybe you've heard some, some people in our, our day say this. It's not just about wealth, but... Some of you may remember from uh, a few years back, they asked Tom Brady the question after he'd won his third Super Bowl. If you don't know who Tom Brady is, he's the quarterback for the New England Patriots. And they asked him the question. He said, you know, Tom, like, what do you think about all this with winning three Super Bowls? I mean, you're like the great, you'd be the greatest quarterback of today. And you know what Tom Brady said? He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there is something greater out there for me? Because I believe that Scripture says in just one chapter over, Ecclesiastes 3, that God put eternity into the hearts of of every person. That God put something in us that longs for more than just the here and now. That's my belief as a pastor of a Christian church that has studied this Bible and looks at it. And and I feel this sense that, that one of the reasons why I don't typically ask myself the question, what is my purpose, is because it takes me getting still. It takes me getting quiet, and when I do that, I feel really awkward. I feel really strange. When I get still and I get quiet before God, it kind of wigs me out, to be honest, because we are so busy, we're so active, we're going hard at it that we never let ourselves get quiet and get still. But I believe that when you get still and you get quiet, that it is in the heart of every man to know there's something more to this life than what we can see. There's something more to this life than what we can touch and taste and feel. So the question I have to ask myself and the question that I want to, to work through this morning of what is our purpose? If our purpose is not to experience the most pleasure, if it's not to accomplish as much work as possible, if it's not to accumulate as much wealth, well, before we move on, because maybe you think because I'm a pastor of a church that my answer to this question is religious in nature. Let me just say this. 
the Bible teaches us, not explicitly in this particular passage, but it says that our purpose in life is not to just be a good person. That may come as a shocker for some of you, but the Bible says that it's not just about being a good person, being a moral person, being an upright person, a person of integrity. Those are all good things, but that's not my ultimate purpose. In fact, the Bible even goes as far as to say this, that no one, no one is good. That no one is ultimately good. And besides that, how do we even define good? What's your definition? How do you decide when you've crossed the threshold of being good? The book that Harley mentioned earlier, as you walk out, if you want to take a copy of it, we, we encourage you and invite you to take it. It's just a small little read, and it's asking the question, how good is good enough? And the reason being is because, let's be honest, we've all wrestled with trying to be a good person, to do good things at times, and if you're like me, even when I do the right thing, I do it sometimes for the wrong reason. Because my heart's messed up. My heart's jacked up. And so this morning I say to all of us that even as a pastor and even sitting in a Christian gathering, our goal is not ultimately, our purpose is not ultimately to just be good people. So what is our purpose? Well, God says that our ultimate purpose is to bring him glory. Now, that's a churchy word. We don't really use that a lot outside of the context of church. So I'll just go ahead and say that. But it's to bring him glory. But what does that even mean? Practically, what does that mean, to bring him glory? Well, two things that help us do that. You know, at Redemption City Church, we say that we want to point people to life in Jesus. If you notice in the passage that we just read, how many times he used the word I, and how many times he used the word myself. Sounds pretty familiar when I stop and think about the way I live my life. I talk about myself a lot. I center things around me a lot. But if we're going to experience and live our purpose the way God intended us to, that means that we have to see bigger than ourselves. We have to not start with us. We have to start with the one who made us. And so in the Bible, we find in Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Again, it'll be on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 22, we find a very profound statement that Jesus makes. Because he's asked the question, what is the most important commandment? What is the most important thing to do with my life, God? What is the most important thing to do with my life, Jesus, is what the specific question was. And here's what he says. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And what? And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the two things that he says in this passage. We love God and we love people. You see, because the most important thing in life is relationships. It's not experiences. In fact, if you're raising children right now, the temptation that we all have as I raise my five kids is to make sure that they have every experience that they can have. Some of y'all just went, five kids, yes. It's busy. My wife's amazing. But here's the thing. It's really tempting to focus on just ha- helping them have all these experiences. But what, what we need in a culture that is very experientially rich but relationally poor is to help people connect with people. But first and foremost, we see in this passage that that doesn't work real well unless we first connected to the one who made us, and that's God. That we love God and that we love people. 
Have you ever tried to just love people? Have you really tried just to, you know, think about people more than yourself? Anybody in here honest enough to say that it is very, very difficult? You know, it's like people, they're messed up. People, people are mean. People don't always do what we want them to do, when we want them to do it, how we want them to do it. Right? You see, because people are broken. People are selfish. People are like me. And so loving people is hard, but the only way that we can begin to love people is to first connect to God. You see, if we define ourselves in this life, and I ask a man, uh, or I, I start to, to get to interact with a, a man or a woman, it doesn't really matter. I ask somebody uh, some questions about themselves. One of the first questions that's always asked is, what do you do? We define ourselves by that, don't we? Many, many times we define ourselves by what we do. Let me just tell you how the Bible defines us. It doesn't define us by what we do. It actually defines us by what's been done. It defines us by who we're connected to. And so this morning, as I look across this room and I think about my own life and I think about your life, the temptation for all of us will be to define ourselves by what we do and how busy we stay. But the hope is that maybe somehow, some way today, as we think about this question of does life have a purpose, and maybe the better question is does my life have a purpose, is to understand that you have a God who made you, created you, loves you, despite your performance in your work, despite your performance as a husband or wife, despite your performance as a parent, because I feel like a failure all the time, despite your performance in whatever arena you find yourself, you have a God who made you and who loves you. In fact, Scripture says this, 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10, catch this. When you are struggling and I am struggling to actually live out the purpose that God gave us, it says, love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, which is just a big word, for he is a substitute. He substituted himself for our sins. He took on God's anger and wrath against sin. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Do you see the connection between the vertical and the horizontal? It is impossible for me and for you to love people until we have first received the love of God for ourselves. And let me say to you again, God does not love anyone in this room more or less based on how you are performing. He does not love you more or less based on how much Bible you know. He does not love you more or less based on how many times you go to church in a year. He does not love you more or less based on how you feel like you're doing today at being good. He loves you because he made you. He loves you because he has a purpose for your life to love him back, and to love the other people that he created. Romans 1 says this, that the people of the day, they exchanged the glory of their creator to worship the created. Here's the the challenge for all of us in this room. All the things that we see around us, as a Christian, as, as a believer personally, this is my view, all the things that we see around us, are gifts from God. The sunsets, the mountains, the rivers, the streams, 
my children, my wife, my friends, my family. Sometimes maybe they don't see me as a gift to them, but I see them as a gift to me. And here's the thing. All of those things were designed not to be a means to an end themselves, in and of themselves. But they were designed to point us to the giver of every good and perfect thing. They were designed to lift our eyes to heaven. So when I'm eating a steak, which I love to eat, some of you are like, ooh, gross. But when I'm eating a good steak, I'm reminded, man, God, thank you for giving me this great steak. may seem silly, but in the Bible, he says, the Apostle Paul, he says, whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. How can I give God glory while I'm eating a steak? Because I can remember who gave me that gift. When I hold my kids, they crawl up in my lap. I don't worship my kids. They make terrible gods. They're great kids. But I thank God for them. When I go on a date with my wife, and we sit across the table from each other on Friday night, and we talk about life and all that's going on, and we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, I don't worship my wife. I lift my eyes and say, thank you, God, that you overlooked who I was and gave me such a gift. Because I married way up. When I think about the world around me and all that God has made, it is not designed to make me worship it as I drive into the mountains with my family to go see uh, where my family now lives in Colorado, and I'm still jealous because I'm, I'm burning up today. But as I drive into those mountains, I don't worship the mountains. I worship the God who formed the mountains. See, we have a purpose. And it's so much bigger than us. And I hope that you know, whether you believe this or not, whether this is your truth or not today, that there is a God who is pursuing you. And our prayer, my prayer has been that somehow, someway, as it says in Romans 1, it continues there, it says that all of creation declares that there's a God. That when we look at all the things that are around us, the complexities of it, it's mind-blowing to think about all that's there. And I believe, personally, I believe that it is a gift from God that I don't deserve, that I don't, I didn't earn, but that he's given me so that I would lift my eyes and say, God, I love you and I worship you. Thank you. Let me pray for us.